You know, as we were singing this morning, and I get overcome just sometimes when we really listen and see the words that we're singing and the old hymn writers that were able to put it together so succinctly. And you know, we enjoy being able to sing here. Everyone's voices have been lifted in praise this morning. But as this was going on, my mind was going to Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read you a couple of verses. This is the Apostle John writing the Revelation, and he says, And every creature that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard me say. Those in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and in the sea heard John proclaim something that we have been singing about this morning. They're listening. And John says, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. I trust at the end of our time this morning that that will be the intent of our hearts is to bow down and worship him. Father, how can we possibly do justice to proclaiming the greatness of our Savior? It is beyond words to express. But we're longing for a day when we will not be hampered by the inability to express our praise and our glory to the one who sits upon the throne. We will be there. We will have every word that's available to express the glory of the one who died for us. I ask that you would give power to the word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin having a look at this Subject of the Son of Man, I'm looking at the clock, and um, we got started late, so don't anybody look at the clock. I would like to just give us a brief introduction to what we're saying here to remind us something of the greatness of this one who called himself the Son of Man. And Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, he says, Christ is the, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. 
He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he upholds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Jesus. The last couple of weeks we've been looking at, first of all, <clears throat> the child that was born and a son that was given as a gift to us. Last week we had a look at Jesus as the Son of God. As Son of God, <clears throat> he came on God's behalf to accomplish everything that God wanted done <clears throat> for the salvation of souls. And there was no one qualified like him as Son of God to come and to fulfill all the will of God so that we can be here today. Today we're going to have a look at the, the Son of Man. The reason is that he came not only as Son of God, but he came on our behalf, not only on God's behalf, but on our behalf. Knowing this one who inhabited eternity stepped into time. Knowing that there was a tremendous need on our behalf to overcome all the ramifications that sin had brought into the world. And he came as a man. It's hard to really express in words the one who inhabits eternity, still inhabits eternity, stepped into time and became a man. What a man. And yet, by becoming a man, he never ceased to be who he was as God. The Apostle Paul also writes concerning him in Philippians chapter 2 where it begins with let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus and this is what he says though he was God he did not think of equality with God as something to be clung to. Instead he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He did that by choice. He did that because he loved us. Do we really realize that the one who inhabits eternity loved us so much to step into time in order to take our place? It's beyond what our minds can comprehend. So this Son of Man has come. But we will find he's also coming again. It is interesting when you are challenged to stand up and speak before everyone like this in public. 
what the Holy Spirit begins to show you as you study. I was only given the subjects that I was to speak on this month, not the details. And as I began to go through all the references to the Son of Man throughout the Scriptures, there's some things that came to light. One thing is that Jesus is the only one that speaks of himself as Son of Man. You can read through the Gospels, no one calls him Son of Man. He himself was the one that said, I am the Son of Man. And that was the question he's had to the disciples. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Anointed One, the only one given by God the Father. But he had a purpose in coming as Son of Man. And there's a few scriptures that came to mind, one from Matthew 20. Jesus says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, we were slaves to sin. There was no possible way that we could extricate ourselves from the condition of sin that we're in. Another had taken possession. Another was influencing the world that we read of in the beginning of Genesis and the serpent showed up in the garden and he tried to bring an end immediately to the plans of God for his creation. Therefore, Jesus himself had to pay the ransom price. We were slaves to sin A price needed to be paid in order that we might be set free from that. And the only price that God had determined even before the world began that could be used as payment for that redemption was blood. But not not any ordinary blood. You see, our blood has been tainted by sin. The one who came to redeem us had to be free from sin. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin. He was the only one qualified whose blood was pure that God could receive as payment in order that our sins might be forgiven. So he came to redeem many. Then Jesus, when he saw Zacchaeus that day, he says of Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because he also, referring to Zacchaeus, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Imagine the one who inhabits eternity has come to seek. He's come to seek you and me. He knows us by name. He calls us by name. And the gospel message has gone out now for About 2,000 years, and many have heard him call their name. He's been seeking, and he's saving those that are lost. Do you notice he doesn't say those that are sinners? Go through the Gospels, and you will never see Jesus saying that, but he looks for the lost, 
We're all lost. We don't know the way out. We're totally lost if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus has come to seek us and to save us. And many of us here can attest to the fact that there was a day in our life in which we knew that the Savior found us. What a day that was. We've been found by the Savior. Even when we weren't looking for Him, He's found us. And he, His purpose in finding us is so that we might be saved. Wow. We didn't realize we were lost. You know, sometimes we get into our Christian life and we forget. There are many times in our Christian life where things become confusing. And we, but we digress into that condition of lostness and not knowing what direction to go. But if that is the case, we've lost sight of the Savior. You need to refocus on Jesus Christ. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And He's still seeking us to keep us on track, to keep us in the way that we might walk worthy of the calling wherewith we've been called. Then He says in Matthew 9, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Never before could a statement be made like that. Never before could anyone say he had power on earth to forgive sins. There was no one until Jesus came. How important do you think it is then that you come to know the Savior? How important is it that you come to realize your need and to find out that there is one that is able to fulfill that need? to change your life from this moment on. But the same Son of Man has come to die. <clears throat> Matthew says, you know that after two days is the Passover, and Jesus says, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. I wonder what the disciples must have thought. He's calling himself the Son of Man. They knew him as Jesus. They'd never heard that expression before. And yet, when he says, who do you say that the Son of Man is? God revealed to Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here he came as a man that he might be delivered up to be crucified, the worst possible death. I don't think that can really settle into our minds the immensity of what that was. The one who inhabited eternity came and hung on a cross. He was equal with God, and yet he voluntarily stepped into time in order to accomplish what God wanted, and he came on our behalf. Matthew 12 says, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. And these are Jesus' own words. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was preparing the disciples to realize that this was the case. 
And little did they realize that their hopes to begin with were dashed. They were hoping for a king to come and set them free. That they would have the fulfillment of the promises to the patriarchs. Have their own land. And that they would have freedom from the rule of Rome. But he came in order that he might give them something better. The Son of Man then rises again. Jesus says the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. When we look at the conditions in the world today, and when we think of the word sinful men, Things are conjured up in our minds as to how sinful man is. The atrocities that are happening today, the inhumanity from man to man today. And this is what he says. He's going to be delivered up into the hands of sinful men. We would all recoil from such a thing. We don't want to be near anyone like that. The atrocities that are committed today, we don't want to be part of it. But there he was. He was delivered up by sinful men to be crucified. But he had a goal in mind that he would be raised again on the third day. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. And I take it again. What a Savior. On the Mount of Transfiguration... It says, now as they came down, that's Peter, James, and John, they came down from the mountain after seeing Jesus transfigured before them and speaking with Moses and Elijah, Jesus commanded them saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. This was something that he didn't want spread about. And yet he had come with the heart of God was such a love that we can't begin to put words to it, to go to the extremes in order to save us. And he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah were in conversation with him. Not all of the Gospels record this. I think Luke might be the only one that records this. And they were speaking about the sufferings that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah. They knew. This wasn't something that was just revealed to them on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were looking forward to this in their day. And it wasn't happening, but now they're on the Mount of Transfiguration And they see Jesus transfigured before them. His garments became white as light. And they were in conversations with him about the sufferings that he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. And then Peter says, Lord, it's good that we be here. I think I probably would have been like Peter too. Wow, Lord, what a time to be in. And we've actually seen Moses and Elijah Let's build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. Then suddenly, out of heaven, they heard a voice saying, This 
is my beloved son. Hear him. When they heard that, they fell on their faces to the ground. Why would we not if we were standing in the presence of God? We could do nothing else but fall on our faces to the ground. And then Jesus takes them, pulls them up. And they saw no one but Jesus alone. I think that's a lesson for us all. Is he uppermost in our lives? Is there anything that takes the place of Jesus in our lives? Yes, we're all prone to that. We're all tempted by that. Anything that's an idol is taking the place that God wants to have in our life. And we're all subject to that. But he raised them up. I wonder what that must have been like when they looked in the face of Jesus. Have you ever had a glimpse of that? Just in your mind's eye. The fact that you know that you're standing in the presence of God. And I believe this morning as we were singing, there was evidence of the fact that God is here. Our hearts were touched. We're standing in the presence of Almighty God. And what can we do but bow in worship to such a one? But the Son of Man is also in heaven. This is the section in Acts 7 where Stephen is preaching. And he goes through the history that Israel had with God. And this is at the end of his dissertation. And Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And said, look, I see the heavens opened. And the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Stephen was at the end of his life. He was going to be stoned. He was going to be a martyr for the name of Jesus. And what Stephen sees is, he says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I think possibly, and I could be corrected, this may be the only time where we hear this expression, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. All of the references to Christ in heaven as he's seated on his throne with his Father. But here he is standing, and Stephen sees him standing at the right hand of God. Why? I'm going to propose this. I could be wrong, but I think it's a possibility. Stephen saw Jesus standing, and this was the last communication to the nation of Israel to receive their Messiah. And they refused again. And they became so angry they took Stephen out of the city and stoned him to death. Jesus was standing. Had they responded to Stephen's message, they would have said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Their hearts would have been changed. 
They would have repented that they had slain the Messiah. And if they had only said, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, he would have come back. But they refused. He was still standing there, ready to be received. Is that the heart of anyone here today? You've heard the message numerous times. And you still are not convinced that Jesus needs to be your Savior. If that's where you are today, I ask you to contemplate the fact that there is no one in the universe that loves you so much as Jesus that he stepped into time to die for you. And now you think you have a choice to make. You do have a choice. But you don't have a choice. He's the only one that God has sent for you and me. As I was going through this, I began to realize, and I was going to count the number of the times that the, man, the Son of Man is referenced in the New Testament in order to get a percentage. So I'm just going to take a guess right now. So when I study something like this, I look at every reference to the Son of Man. And my guess is going to be it's over 50%. It could be even pushing 70% of the scriptures that refer to the Son of Man are all in the future tense. So I've got a number of scriptures here. We'll quickly run through them. Daniel 7, this is the vision of the four beasts. Daniel said, I was watching in the night visions. Behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. This has not happened yet. This is still future. And Daniel saw it and recorded that this son of man was coming back again and he was going to have a kingdom. And every knee was going to bow. Luke 21 is part of the Olivet Discourse. There will be signs in the, in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then, uh, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is end times. This is still future. The Son of Man. Think of it. The one who came into this world in human form is coming again. He's coming with the clouds, with power and great glory. Revelation 1, to him who loves us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds. And here's 
something to notice, and every eye shall see him. There's never been a time in world history where he has ascended to heaven and come back and every eye has seen him. Not one time in world history. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. We are living now in a day when a few years ago we'd have thought, how was that even possible? Every eye shall see him. Now most of you have a phone. When he comes back, every eye shall see him. And those that have pierced him, all tribes of the earth are going to mourn because of him. They will see him coming in majesty and great glory, but he's also coming in another form. We'll have a look at that. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All nations will be gathered before him. Hebrews 7 says, Jesus, as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able, also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Reason is that there's a man in heaven. A man in heaven ever living to intercede for us. Why do we need to be interceded for? Oh, we're still prone to sin. And he knows beforehand. And he prays for us beforehand. And the Holy Spirit causes us to focus our eyes on Jesus to help prevent us from falling into sin. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Can't underestimate this statement. There is a real man in heaven. Sometimes we forget that. He's way out there somewhere because we don't see him. He is constantly seeing us and knowing us by name. And he's guiding us in our lives if we will but listen. Do we take the time? Do we take the time? You see, we can come to him with all of our problems and things. But he is there as one who has the answers to our problems. I don't know if I put this in my notes or not. Jesus said to them, he says, you read the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. But you won't come to me to receive life. You see, we can do everything else. There's nothing wrong with reading the scriptures, that's good. But it's in him that we have life. If we're not connected to the source of life, we're going to have difficulties in our day-to-day walk with the Lord. We're going to run into difficulties and we're going to be one of those that have slipped again into a lost condition. But remember, he's come to seek and save that which is lost. And he constantly pursues us. He's coming again, though, as judge. As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because 
He is the Son of Man. Matthew says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Sometimes I don't think we really realize that Jesus ought to be the one that we're bowing before to worship. The Magi, when they came, they fell before him and worshipped. When the leper was healed, he worshipped him. When the Marys were at the tomb on the day of his resurrection and he appeared to them, they worshipped him. There are so many examples. The man that was born blind, he worshipped him. 24 elders in Revelation, they worshipped him. This ought to be the attitude of our minds. Here's the Son of God, he came. What can we not do but worship him? What greater love would it take than going to death to prove that he is worthy of our worship? And he says, keeps giving an invitation, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart you shall find rest for your souls. And then on that last great day of the feast, Jesus cried out and he says, is there anyone that thirsts? Anybody here that's thirsty? Are you living in a dry and barren land and you feel you have no hope? There's all hope of future is lost. Jesus says, come to me and drink. You'll be refreshed. I trust that just hearing about him this morning is enough to refresh us, to cause us to have a hunger and a thirst for him because that is the only source of our life. Without him, we can do nothing. Those were Jesus' own words. There's an old hymn I'm going to close with. I'm just going to read you one or two verses of it. Because this one, this man, this son of man that has gone back into heaven is coming again. His first time he came to seek and save that which was lost and to pay the price for our salvation. And it's available to everyone regardless of your background or standing in life or the churches that you've attended. He's still your Savior if you will but make him your Savior. And this old hymn says Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall. Friendless Forsaken, betrayed by all, hearken, what meaneth that sudden call? What will you do with Jesus? That was Paul's question to them. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. It's either yes or no. Someday. Someday. 
your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? What will you do with Jesus? The Son of God is the question. And if you've put your faith and trust in him, the more you're occupied with Christ, the easier in many respects life will be. Whatever's thrown at you, you'll keep looking to Jesus. Where do I go from here? I feel lost again. Guide me, help me. And he will. I've proved it over and over and over and over and over. Father, thank you for such a Savior. And to think that he would come on our behalf, take on physical bodies like ours and know what it was to be weary, to know what the sufferings of the cross meant, As the psalmist writes, he says, all my bones are out of joint. My tongue cleaves to the roof of my mouth. He knew the sufferings as a man of Calvary. And yet he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because he was bearing the sins of the world. And he took upon himself your full wrath so that we might have life. Changes. Father, I pray. Jesus.